Hi there, everybody. Uh, my name is David Lawrence. I'm a portrait photographer and storyteller from Orlando, Florida. This is the third episode of the Spoken Narrative podcast. Each week, I'll sit down with a fellow creative, artist, or business owner to have a conversation about their stories, careers, and overall journey up into the point of where they are today. I approach these conversations from the idea that we are all going through something and that through hearing the stories of others, it can help us feel less alone. This week, I sit down with music and portrait photographer Narelle Blair. If you look him up, there's uh, a pretty uh, broad spectrum of, of music photography on his portfolio and also really just beautiful colored colorful portraits. Um, and, and I just wanted to explore a bit of that today. But before we get there, um, do you mind just telling us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, sure. Um, so uh, I began shooting photography um, in 2008, I would say. Um, uh, back in 2008, I was still in high school, uh, a sophomore actually. Um, but I remember I got my first DSLR. It was a Canon Rebel XTI. Um, and I was over the moon because prior to that, I'd just been using like a little point and shoot. Like I'm sure most photographers start out on. Yeah. Um, even I still, I still shoot on point and shoots for fun. Yeah. And sometimes I'll do portraits with point and shoots. Yeah. Fun times. Um, and so after I got my first, uh, DSLR, uh, my uncle who, uh, was an editor for a music magazine uh, called Scope. Um, he offered me to start shooting for them. So my very first concert that I ever shot uh, was actually Linkin Park for their Project Revolution tour in 2008, crazy. which is really crazy because most like music photographers start out shooting like their small local gigs, and then they kind of like work their way into like shooting bigger artists for bigger publications. I somehow just like beeline right to like Lincoln Park level of like um, artists, uh, and so from there I um, I didn't really dive into like portrait photography until I got to Orlando, which is uh, when I moved around 2011, and then I was going to Valencia College, and I was focusing primarily on um, my studies at this point. But by about my sophomore or junior year of college and when I entered UCF, I uh, got a little bit more free time, got a little more creative uh, time as well. And I started using that time to shoot people um, and just like portrait stuff, seeing like what I liked, what I didn't like. Um, and uh, after going through all those like trials of like um, shooting with everybody that I could shoot with. I was able to kind of like find some sort of aesthetic that I really latched on to. Um, and so fast forward to now in 2020, I shoot a lot of um, queer, su queer subjects. Uh, I use a lot of color in my photography. I love using color. It's not like a backdrop that it's like lights or it's like, like a colorful background, like somewhere outside, uh, even flowers. I love shooting with like colorful flowers. Um, and so, yeah, that's kind of like a general, this is me. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so you brought up about the music photography, and that was something that I wanted to ask you about. You said your uncle owned a publication. He was an editor, an for, editor. For, a pub, for a publication, and so he 
he really helped me out in like getting into like that world because it's not an easy one to to get into. Yeah, and, not at all. Um, and so uh, that really really helped me out. Um, to I, I mean, it helped out as a young photographer, just like still in high school. It helped me out because all those all these concerts and shows have a team of. Um, uh, lighting people and staging people who who all are there to make sure that it the show looks great for the crowd, but also as a photographer, um, they also help you know light up whoever you're shooting, like the singers and the band and everything. And so uh, it was interesting because uh, the lights are already done for you uh, and everything. And so. Oh, as opposed to like being in a studio or something where you're the one yeah, like, like controlling the lights and everything. So like that, so that's kind of what I had to learn once I got into portrait photography is how mm. to be the one controlling it and like directing yeah. how those lights look because I was all, cause my, you know, I started out shooting concerts where all that's already decided for you. Mm. It's already like all those lights and everything. They're already done for you. They're calibrated to light, the subjects perfectly and so it took me and I still every time I shoot I still uh like try and like make uh improve my lighting and my eye for like lighting everything yeah um so when when you started so was Linkin Park the first show that you ever shot Yes. Yes. Okay. First ever. I mean, I guess technically there were openers that day. So first band I ever shot, I don't remember. The, yeah. the openers that day, I think, were um, the the bravery. Um, uh, there's another band that Tom Morello from Rage Against the Machine was part of. I Crazy. don't don't remember the name right now. Yeah, that's I, all right. <laughs> I remember. Uh, I think Buster Rhymes was also supposed to be on the lineup. And I, <laughs> That's such yeah. a random lineup. Yeah, it was with the Buster Rhymes and Hawthorne Heights, all oh, in the wow. same lineup. Crazy. But for one reason or another, they weren't at this date, which is in West so Palm weird. Beach. Um, so yeah, first show ever shot, Lincoln Park. Crazy. And it was great. So was did great. you like, I mean, that was at the beginning of your career. Did you actually like get any good shots out of it? Or did you know what you were doing? Or like, what was that like? Um, so I, I mean, as, as a sophomore in high school, I entered that photo pit, like, so not sure of what would happen, especially since like all day, like the bands, they just had very minimal stage setup, like just like, just a backdrop, just some, like some really great stage lighting. And that was it. Mm-hmm. Lincoln Park comes on, they have like their, the whole production, like, like pyro screens. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, like everyone in that band has such energy or, um, in Chester's case, like ha- had, but, yeah. it, but you know, um, uh, uh, to shoot like such a huge band like that. I, I, I just remember thinking like, okay, I'm just going to put this on autofocus and just put on high speed shutter, which is kind of still what I, what I do now, just because like for such a kinetic, uh, subject, you kind of, I keep it on autofocus just so that I'm not having to worry too much about the focusing and more on like my shutter speed, my aperture. Um, so, uh, I think I got some good shots from that. I mean, they were good enough that someone decided to rip them and put them on Wikipedia. So so for, I'd say that's a success. Yeah. So for a while, (laughs) So uh, for a while, uh, the Wikipedia picture for Mike Shinoda was my picture. 
That's amazing. I want to say for a moment, uh, it was Chester's as well, or at least like somewhere on Lincoln Park or Chester's like Wikipedia, my photo is being used. Um, however, that was in a time when I was putting everything on Flickr and like not really putting a Creative Commons license okay. on everything. So it, it it kind of was everyone's like free game, just like take yeah, my just pictures. Grab it. Um, it's gotta feel still good though. <laughs> oh no, definitely because definitely because I, I remember like you could like search my name and like uh, my pictures like in uh, of Lincoln Park would come up on, yeah. on Google search. So it was definitely uh, as a sophomore in high school. Uh, yeah, I was. Yeah, that's like. You feel like the coolest, the coolest in the world, especially like as a kid. I think even like last year I photographed like under oath at a festival and that's like one of my favorite bands. And it was like not even as big of like a public thing as like a Wikipedia, but they like posted some of my photos on Instagram after. And I was like, this is the most insane thing of my life. Yeah. Well, Um, like that's like, that's like the, like, I guess like the modern day, like, like version of that. Cause like now, like no one really cares about wikipedia or like really i mean it's there like, yeah. people know about it but i feel like now like it's more cool to like have have your stuff posted on instagram by the person that you're shooting i mean i've um i mean i've had like, a few geek out moments where like i've shot like a banner an artist and you know i tag them and they they like it enough that they yeah. either post it on their story yeah, or, or like totally. they or they post on their uh instagram or they message me and be like hey really love the photos blah blah blah, blah. and like that to me like that's like pretty cool. So I think that's like the modern day, like yeah. having your photo on Wikipedia. Totally. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'd still be amped though if someone used a photo in 2020 <laughs> of mine on the Wikipedia page. Mm-hmm. Um, so how long did you do work for that publication? You said you started when you were a sophomore in high school. That was in 2008. Yeah. So okay. I, so I shot with them all the way up until 2012, I want to say. And around 2012 is when I kind of took like a break just to focus on studies. Um, by that point, though, I was shooting for uh, that publication, Scope, um, another one, a zine down in South Florida called SFL Music Zine or SFL On Stage. And then uh, I also had shot for our local newspapers like... Um, they had made like a kind of like an off brand that just focused on like media and like music and mm-hmm. stuff. And so, um, so I shot with like all those publications and soft forward up until about like 2012 or so. Um, so about a good four years. Crazy. Yeah. And then, and then you moved up to Orlando. Um, and when you got to Orlando, did you continue taking photos right away or were you still kind of on a, Hiatus. I think uh, I was on huge hiatus. Uh, I, I, I just remember thinking. I just remember at that time in my life, it was more about getting my bearings here in Orlando, mm-hmm. and I lived like out in like UCF side of town. So just like with like other college kids. Yeah. So I kind of, for a moment, I, I didn't want to focus on like all of that for once. I wanted to like kind of just focus on, I guess me, but like not the creative side. Yeah. Because I. I think in four years to like do all of that. And, yeah. I, and I wanted to um, do things like be the one actually in the concert, like um, at like watching the band, yeah. which it, it, and it's, which is like really weird because I guess like um, the, I mean, like one thing that I, I know for sure is that there's a moment where I want to like just live my life and not like work. I want to like be like the person in the concert like watching the bands yeah. I, I didn't want to I didn't want to shoot the bands anymore I yeah. want to like enjoy like these things not- I struggle with that too because it's not like it's not like I shoot tons of concerts but I've done them regularly enough and like gone on tour with bands and um like 
sometimes even when I don't want to spend money, it feels funny to say, but I'll just like reach out to like a artist or like a manager and like send them my work and be like, Hey, can I come shoot, like shoot some photos? And like, if they're big shows, you can only shoot for the first three songs. Mm -hmm, And then it's mm -hmm. like, you're just chilling. Yeah. yeah, yeah. (laughs) And, but it's still like, I, I don't know. I got in the habit of doing that pretty regularly when like big bands or just bands that I liked in general would come through. And I, I was like, man, like it, it would be nice to like just go and enjoy something without like being a photographer. Um, and I think that even overflows into other aspects of, of life. Like there's even been moments where like, I don't know, like I've been at church and people have been like, Oh, how's photography going? And I feel like it can like take over almost everything and you aren't able to almost be a normal person. And that can be like that with any job. Yeah. Um, uh, I mean, uh, you can see it in like, um, in like most like high profile, like creatives, like, um, I mean, uh, I'm going to name drop Madonna because I'm just a huge Madonna fan. But like she, I mean, she started out as a dancer um, and model and then worked her way into being a singer, which is what, which is what, which is what we know her now as as a singer. But, you know, even her, like she um, took like a huge break um, in like the nineties, especially once she, once she became a mother um, and she kind of took a break there as well, but she, but you also saw her in like act and like in like acting, and mm-hmm. eventually she went on to like direct her own um, stuff too, and then she wrote like a children's book as well and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so uh, not a lot of like like bands or artists like talk about it, but I know for sure that a lot of like artists they um, get into like these sort of like uh, periods where they don't want to like like they've probably like flex that muscle so hard that they just kind of just want to like like you know give it a break and just yeah. focus on like the other aspects about them as well whether it's being yeah. a mother um uh, uh maybe even like doing other creative things as well and that's kind of like where, where where I felt too especially because I was entering college you know I mm. uh I wanted to focus primarily on my school, making new friends in Orlando, um, seeing what's around Orlando and everything. And so it just like, I just didn't have the time to like really go out and shoot concerts. Uh, didn't feel confident to like shoot portraits with people yet. Um, and so when I, yeah, so when I moved to Orlando, uh, the photography kind of just like took a little break, um, for a bit. So how then did you eventually start getting in, to portraiture because you mentioned earlier how like there was a season where you're just like reaching out to like everyone and like you're actively shooting now but like what like what inspired you to pick back up your camera and not go to music but people instead um so by i think around 2015 2016 i must have been like a junior at ucf at this point and there was a new club on campus called uh Fashion Society. I, I think that's still their name. I know they went through a name change. Um, uh, but pretty much it was a club uh, at UCF where the whole point was for anyone who was interested in getting into the fashion world, um, whether it was as a photographer, as a, like a seamstress, as a model, uh, etc. This club kind of was like an outlet to, to really do all that. And everyone was assigned uh, different groups. So if you wanted to be a photographer, you had that group, you want to be a model, you were part of that group. 
and et cetera. And from that group, we got to kind of like work together on like concepts for like, okay, like we want to do this sort of shoot. This is the kind of models that we're going to pick. Um, these are photographers that we're going to use. And that's kind of like how it is in the, in the real world, to, in the real world as well. Like, you know, you have like your team and you pick your team um, very selectively and methodically. And then you go out and like do the shoot and then edit it. And then you put the final product out into the world like that. Um, and so, uh, through them, uh, it kind of got me really interested in doing kind of just more work where I want to like find my, find my models, uh, work on a concept, run it by them. If they're okay with it, then awesome. Then we'd go out and shoot. Um, I will say though, that, uh, I very much, uh, don't like having big teams. If I, I, the way I kind of pick up my models is that I find models who look to me like they're kind of like the full package. So if they can do makeup, they can do hair. Mm-hmm. Uh, if they have great style, awesome. That's way less work that I have to kind of do, which may, which I know like some, some photographers be like, oh, that's kind of weird, blah, blah, blah. But um, I think one part of being a photographer is just being very selective about who you choose to shoot. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, you know, whether it be a certain group of people that you decide to shoot or the kind of model that you want to shoot with. Cause that's ultimately kind of like, like, kind of like, like at the end what people see, they see like the model you shot, blah, blah, blah. But like, they don't know, like the other side of it is that, you know, you kind of methodically pick your models. Mm-hmm. Um, so. It's a super interesting perspective. Sorry, were you going to say something else? I was going to like, I was going to like, like backtrack, uh, I think. So, so yeah, so. UCF Fashion Society is kind of like what got me into like wanting to shoot more portraits. And, uh, and from there it kind of just escalated into where things are like now. Um, Cool. Um, Yeah. I, and I want to talk more about where you're at now, but that brings up a interesting thing for me. I listen to a lot of podcasts and I was listening to a well I was just thinking you brought up that idea of being selective about who you're photographing um I I was listening to this podcast with this photographer named Noska Demini who uh lives in uh, Montreal Canada and he is an African-American photographer and he and he photographs a a, a lot of like the African-American community and he's like always like pushing for there to be more diversity in the photography community. And he'll point out how like um, companies like Nikon or these other huge photo companies will have competitions and everyone that will win them will all be like white, white, mostly white men and maybe some white woman. And like, he's posted like pictures from like 2020 and 2019 and 18 that were like literally all just white people. And he was just kind of like, what the fuck? Um, and so that being said though, uh, someone asked him if he would photograph Donald Trump and he was like, yeah, I, I totally would because I think that everyone is deserving of a photo. And I was like, that's mind boggling. Like I've never heard, I've never heard anyone (laughs) say like everyone's deserving of a photo. I don't think they're not, but I've never heard a, photographer put it into terms like that. And I think that everyone's perspective is so different, even with yours, with like the things that you're focusing on where you're like, I want to almost have like a, a niche, 
like I want to be known for photographing this the same thing. Like there's another. Have you heard of Dan Winters? Mm, I don't think so. Um, he's like one of the like biggest portrait photographers of the last like 30 or 40 years. He's photographed like everyone imaginable. Um, but someone, this is a completely different podcast. Uh, someone asked him if he would photograph the president as well, which is mm-hmm. kind of funny to hear this on two different podcasts. And he was just like, no, that guy's not worth my time. Like he's not even worth like me wasting an ounce of energy to pick up my camera. And I think for me, like, I don't know, there almost isn't anyone that I wouldn't photograph. Mm-hmm. Like, um, and not the exactly that you're saying that there aren't certain people that you wouldn't photograph, but that just having like a, a niche thing that you focus on, like, was just interesting to me in light of hearing the perspectives from other photographers on like who they would photograph and who they wouldn't. Yeah. Um, I mean, uh, for me, I guess there there's two sides to it. So uh, the first thing would be, uh, I mean, I take a lot of inspiration from fashion magazines. I grew up even, I mean, I grew up like with a single mom. Um, uh, so as a gay boy, like all the freaking like Vogue magazines she had around the house, I'd always like go through those when I was in the bathroom and like stuff like that. And so a lot of my inspiration comes from fashion magazines mm-hmm. and, you know, uh, and so when Instagram became like even bigger, you know, uh, I stopped buying as many fashion magazines. So I was just like following all the, the credits in the, in the, in the magazines. I would, mm-hmm. if there ever was a shoot in a magazine that I, that I saw that I really liked, I would go immediately go to the credits, uh, look at the photographers, the assistants, the stylist, uh, et cetera. Um, and I remember there was a moment where I kind of looked at all of these accounts that I started to follow, all these people, all these photographers, all the models, and so many of who I was following, I noticed there wasn't very much POC in there. Um, I looked at all the, all the photographers I looked up to. Uh, it was all white guys. Mm-hmm. Um, there was, I mean, I can't. At, there was a point where I couldn't even name a single POC photographer that I looked up to because mm. there just wasn't that because re- they just weren't re- being represented or yeah. I just wasn't finding them or mm. or whatever. And so it, I dawned on the conclusion that even like in the fashion world where uh, where most people think it's it's so extreme and like it lets in everybody, even in that world, I noticed that there still was a huge like preference for like. Um, like white models, white photographers, white everything. And I'm sure like there's a whole other component to it that I haven't examined yet either. But as a, as like a POC queer person, I thought it was like so weird that like I didn't have any uh, like POC like inspirations of like mm-hmm. any photographers. Yeah. And, and I can't say it, it's because like I, uh, by choice, I, I'm, I, it's just like, I think by, the way that things are. I just yeah. wasn't seeing them in my feet. I just wasn't seeing them in my explore or like anything. Um, but like they're out there. They, uh, they exist. It's, it's just, you know, they're not as easily findable as yeah. like their white counterparts. Um, so it brings like a whole nother issue of like, well, you have like two photographers who put out kind of the same exact like uh, work but the white one seemingly uh, gets kind of more praise and like, I guess yeah. more um, like it's broadcasted more to people for whatever reason whatsoever. Um, however, I, I, and then the other part of my 
answer the second part uh, is that um, I just personally so mostly who I shoot with now is is queer subjects and um, and basically just because like I I just want to shoot more of what I feel I'm not seeing enough of mm-hmm. uh, I personally don't feel like I see enough queer or like Orlando people being photographed and their stories being shared and like just their whole aura being shared mm-hmm. and um, I want to and I just want to do more to shoot what isn't being shot. That's mm-hmm. kind of my mindset around it. So um, I did like hearing how both those photographers' um, perspectives on like whether or not they would shoot the president. Yeah. But you know, from my perspective, like I wouldn't want to shoot the president just because he's been photographed so many times. Yeah. It's like I, no, that I, makes. I don't think he needs more photos. Yeah. Uh, so that's my perspective, like personally, mm-hmm. not because of how I feel about him. But more so just because he has enough photos yeah. uh, to go around. Mm-hmm. But he does need better photos because his uh, present portrait is trash. I haven't actually seen it, but I feel like it is trash. <laughs> it, is, it is hot trash. I, I feel I'll have to look it up. <laughs> I mean, if you put Ob- Obama's side by side to his, it is night and day. Oh my gosh! Uh, I don't know who okayed like the current president's like. Portrait, <laughs> uh, but they, yeah, it, it's, it's bad. It needs some work. <laughs> needs some work for so, sure. Um, yeah, so I'm going to take a quick little break. Uh, we're in a weird time right now. Uh, people are being quarantined and are being asked to not leave their houses from the coronavirus. Um, and yeah, a lot of times are uncertain. Uh, I feel a little bit insane, but uh, being that most of my work is person to person as a portrait photographer, I decided to start an online print company. It is called Better Days Print Company, and the idea is simple. Through reflecting on images of past times, we are able to remember better days and also rem- be reminded that better days are coming. You can view the store and purchase prints at the link in the show notes. I hope you'll check it out and enjoy the rest of this episode with Narelle. Beep, 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 beep. So your your one exception is if they need someone to redo his photo, you're totally yeah. in. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Sweet. Mm-hmm. Um, cool. <laughs> That's really funny. I haven't actually seen his presidential photo. Now I, now I want to go look it up. <laughs> um yeah, that's that's good. That's that's really funny. So you uh, mentioned a, a little bit about photographing queer subjects. You have a project right now that you're doing called Queer Lando, mm-hmm. and you're on your. You've done three interviews now that you've published. Three. Can you tell me a bit more uh, about those interviews? Uh, yeah. So, and I guess like the mindset behind them. Yeah. Uh. So. The the subjects that I sh- I shoot with I mean I mean my whole like I guess my thesis like for this was just to highlight more of Orlando's queer community, um, like, but like not like the ones that are have like a huge followings on Instagram or anything. Just the ones, or not just the ones, but like 
any anyone in the Orlando queer community, um, I I'm just not so picky about like who they are. I, you know, I you're not just going for the most popular drag queen. No, 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 no. yeah, yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, because I I I believe that like like you know social media like it all works on an algorithm and it all works to just like um, push up like who's ever like working the algorithm the best or whatever. So. From that, though, we're losing so much of, like, what isn't, like, getting through the algorithm. And, like, there's so much that, like, we're not seeing because of, like, the way that Instagram's algorithm works. Um, and so uh, for me, you know, I always, like, like to find really people who I notice have really good style or really cool faces. Mm-hmm. And so when I interview them, a lot of the inter- the the interview which um, I haven't had a chance to do an in person way all the ones that we I've done so far have been like kind of just like over phone okay. after after we finish our our photo shoot and everything mm-hmm. um, but the main like thing with the interviews that I like to get out of is kind of just like um, just like what they feel is important to them about being queer what that means for them. Um, and and also like where on Orlando they like to like hang out where they like they love Orlando because I think for like other queer people it's important to see um, not only um, the people that aren't working the algorithm um, just like just normal other queer people um, and also like what they enjoy about being queer because I think it's important for other queer people to understand like what um, other queer people feel is important about them being queer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've found like it's that when I ask that question, the answers are all over the place. Mm-hmm. Cause a lot of like a lot of times I'll ask like, oh like where do you like to eat and drink blah blah in Orlando? And most of the times it kind of like skews around around the same things like, oh like Tori Tori or mm-hmm. like Black Bean Deli, like blah blah blah, etc. But when I ask my subjects like, oh where wh- what does being queer mean mean to you? I've had answers like as short as a few lines and I've had ans- answers like as long as like a paragraph. Mm. Um, and so it's so, uh, uh, the answers to that question are always like so diverse and everything. And even for me as a queer person, when I read like the responses, I'm always like so interested and always like, so like peaked by like what, uh, that means to them. Mm. Uh, so it's, it's really, the interviews are really just for, um, not only for them to express, their queerness and what that means to them, but also mm-hmm. for other queer people, not even just in Orlando, but just overall to understand kind of uh, what that word means yeah. to other queer people. No, that's that's amazing. Yeah. Um, how how many have you done so far? So far, uh, not that you've published, but that you've like interviewed and. Uh, captured photos of them. Published three. Uh, no, yeah, published three, but there's a fourth one coming and. Uh, Still working on more. I mean, I do have more people that I do want to shoot. It's just a matter of scheduling and, yeah. and et cetera. So, so four will be will be published probably by the end of uh, this month, March. Yeah, cool. March. Yeah, um, and then hoping to get uh, more done by summertime as well. Cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was wondering. Well, I wanted to ask you a little bit outside of photography. Uh, I know you through Farm and House, which is a local cafe. Um, can you tell me about how you balance working a day job with doing creative work? Um, 
It's hard. It's very hard. Uh, I get asked that by a lot of my friends too, um, like how I I balance it all because uh, I mean, especially with Farm and House, there uh, a while where I was almost working full time, and so when you work like like a full time job, and then you also have this like creative thing you do on doing the side that almost requires just as much time uh, or much much energy, just as much energy from you. Uh, it's really hard. It's it's, but it's a lot about knowing. I kind of guess like uh, your boundaries and like and when to tell yourself like, okay, I don't need to work on this today. Like today, mm-hmm. I can just fully dedicate to um, my day job. But on this day, where I have a little bit more time, I can dedicate some of this time to my photography. Um, and and luckily, like I had ha- I had like I was able to get like I have two days off, you know, in my schedule. So. Um, so having, you know, days off are, those are the days off that really aren't days off because on those days off is when I'm doing my creative stuff. Yeah. And so it, and it becomes like kind of, kind of a grind because I don't even get to get my, my days off really. Totally. Uh, sure I was doing something. Yeah. Cause yeah. If, um, if, cause if I'm not shooting out outside of my work hours or not shooting on my days off, I'm editing on my days off. Yeah. Um, or at that, night or like, yeah. or before a shift. Yeah. yeah. Or, and then I'm like scheduling posts or I'm like kind of brainstorming what I want to do next. Or I'm like reaching out to people on Instagram. Uh, Instagram really like feels like, like a job to me. It's not so much, um, like, uh, like just going, I mean, it's a lot of like me just going through like Instagram and seeing what inspires me or like mm-hmm. what up. But then it's also like reaching out to people, messaging them and talking to them. And like, are you just finding people through hashtags? Um, it's actually uh, a mix of actually, I don't really go through hashtags at all. Uh, I never go through hashtags uh, for some reason. What I do, I, I somehow just like, find people through osmosis, I, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like I'll see someone like post. Like a picture on Instagram, and they have someone in there that looks really cool, and they have them tagged, and so I like I'll uh, go through the tagged, and then I'll like find their account, message them, and more often than not, they're usually like really down to like yeah. shoot and like work together. Uh, so, or I just meet them in like actual life mm. and and everything. Uh, but so to answer your your, your question though, uh, I I try to like balance it as best as I can. But when you are working a full-time job and even my roommate, she also is a photographer named Christina Astor. Uh, she was working a full-time job and trying to balance being a wedding photographer. Oh, wow. And push photographer on top of that. That's and, way bigger than like portraits. Cause yeah. I shoot weddings sometimes and I feel like I'll spend like weeks. Whereas like I can knock out a portrait session in a couple of days. Sometimes I might go back to it a handful of times or take a break, but it's mm-hmm. like way less work than, yeah. Than the 2000 wedding photos that you shot. Mhm. Yeah, so it, it it's rough and I'm sure like other photographers can say the same thing like uh balancing it can can be really hard, but it's so rewarding because I mean if you really love photography and this is really what you love doing then then uh, it you feel fulfilled every time you get like a project done. Yeah. No, 100%. Mm-hmm. I feel I felt that even like publishing the first podcast like it wasn't like I was, I mean, I was like passionate about it, but it's like, it's the first one. So it's like, how could, how good can it actually be? But it's like, I like got the email for iTunes that it was approved on iTunes and it popped up 
and or I like clicked it and like my little show icon popped up and like my name and like the first interview and I was like, whoa, I yeah. did it. Like, <laughs> it's the same. It's the same thing with like any other creative project. So is all of the work that that you do like personal work for yourself or do you do client work as well? I saw a little bit that you do like senior portraits. Uh, yeah. So, um, I would, so I do a lot of senior portraits for UCF, uh, not for them, but like UCF graduates who want to do, um, like senior photos. Um, I actually like, uh, have a pretty good following, like just from that alone. Um, however, like, I guess the dichotomy is that like, you know, I have like that style of work that I do. Mm -hmm. And then I have the, I guess you could say it's personal like work where I sh- where I shoot all like the queer subjects and more more like the fashion editorial sort of stuff. Yeah. Like, that's all kind of like like separate. So if you go on, on my Instagram feed, you won't really see any of um uh, the the graduate photos. But my website, there's a whole section for them. But I keep it like kind of in a, in a separate uh, menu from all the other stuff, just because I want people to understand that yes, yeah. I have like this kind of work, but then there's this other kind of work that I can do too. But the senior photos, I, I, I just like to keep separate from like the more fashion editorial stuff yeah. that I do. Cool. Yeah. So, um, like long-term, like, do you have any other projects that you're, that you're working on? Um, or do you plan to just keep focusing on the queer Lando thing or what are some of your like creative goals going forward? So, I guess like I would I want to like do more Corlando stuff for sure. Um, however, I also kind of want to just broaden that to not just Orlando, but to wherever I end up going in the world. Um, uh, I mean, like I, I guess like one thing that I would love, maybe not this year, but I know like kind of like one thing I really want to get across is actually shooting more of like. Uh, the queer community in Japan, um, who, if you don't know, uh, as advanced and everything as Japan is, how much like their Japan is like loved, uh, they're a little bit behind when it comes to, I guess, like social issues, and so they're uh, they're not. Let's just say they're not really known for having queer acceptance over mm-hmm. there. But you know, there's so many. Um, but they have very much a queer community. Isn't, uh, didn't Queer I just do an episode or like a season? Was that in Japan? Yes, yes, okay. they did. Yes, they I, did. They made it like, I mean, I would assume it would definitely oh. be different than the States, but I feel like they made it look like it was such a like accepted. Um, well, yeah, so they did. So, so it was a whole season in Japan and they had one episode where it was on someone who was queer. And this person, he kind of just wanted uh, I guess queer to make him over completely. Hmm. Um, uh, but like they, I mean, they don't really touch, touch on like the, I guess like the queer acceptance issue in Japan, but the, the, the person in that, in that episode though, he does go very deep into like his experience as a queer person being Japanese hmm. and his experience going other places and, and hmm. like being queer Japanese person. And, um, you know, it's it's a it's a different uh, experience than if you're queer in America, uh, uh, than if you're queer there. You know, um, like here we like queer people here like to very much be very out and like loud, and then that's kind of like the narrative that has been pushed. But there, you know, like uh, Japanese culture is so much about 
not being the one sticking out. Mm-hmm. It's very much blending in just for the overall harmony mm-hmm. or so. So to to stick out uh, is look is not really like mm-hmm. like like look upon. Yeah. Uh, no one wants to really stick out. So to be queer and to live and to like know that you're queer, but know that like that truth then sets you apart from everyone else. And mm-hmm. then it, uh, it's, it's, I, I'm assuming it's very, um, difficult, uh, very difficult. I had a, I have a friend in who lives in Osaka. He like told me that like, you know, he just wants to uh, get to a point where he can like tell people that he's gay and that's not a problem. And that's yeah. and that's such like a like a baseline like like thing like where because like here in America here in America I feel like for a very long time we've been able to say like hey we're gay and, yeah. and it's okay. Like now we're, we're focused like 10, 15 years. Yeah, yeah. Like now yeah. we're able to focus on like on like the the other issues like beyond that. But yeah. but like for <laughs> but like for him living in Osaka like in like like twenty twenty that's his like main goal is just to get to the point where he can just say that he's gay so and be, and be it's, accepted. It's definitely not, not that it makes it okay, but it's definitely not just them either. Cause I feel like America is a country that is very much farther ahead than a lot of other places. Mm-hmm. It's even like my wife used to live in Zambia and like people don't talk about being gay there. Like I'm, I know they like they exist, yeah. but it's like, People, that's not like one of their issues that they're focused on, and like, I feel like there could be actual like physical consequences, like mm-hmm. yeah, maybe not from the government necessarily, but from like the people around there. Uh, not even because they're necessarily mean people, but because they were just like taught like mm-hmm. that's that's wrong, that's like a disgrace, and like I feel like we, even though it's been only in the last like ten or fifteen years that like things have gotten bent, like America's become more accepting and there still are a lot of issues. Like, I feel like we, fortunately for us and unfortunately, like are like way farther ahead than a lot of other places. Mm -hmm. Yeah. um, I mean, it's not even like just Japan. Like, like you said, like there's like other countries where like being gay is like really not something you talk about. Mm -hmm. And like, if you were to like admit that you were gay, uh, there's, um, if not physical, like definitely fetal consequences to it. Um, but we're not hearing their stories as much. Like yeah. we're so like focused on like how far we are here mm-hmm. that we're not hearing how queer people in other countries are experiencing being mm-hmm. queer. And for a lot of them, it's like not very happy. Yeah. Like, I mean, beyond like the, the first world, like, like countries, you know, whatever, like where for the most part, it's, it's okay. There's a lot of like other countries, uh, where there's different religions that are like in the, the, like higher in the hierarchy or at the top of the hierarchy where like, you know, admitting that's almost like a act against God. And so because of that, that's when like these, like, like the physical and the fatal consequences come in. Mm. And so, uh, it's, and so that's kind of like what I would love to be able to do more ultimately is just uh, bring more of those queer stories to light, not just mm-hmm. in Orlando, not just in Florida, not just in America, but like, like around the world, because I, yeah. cause I, cause I know for sure that I'm not seeing more of it. Um, and, and I know for sure most people probably don't even like care to like find, to look out and like search for those things. Yeah. So to be able to like bring those stories into people's faces, that's kind of what I want to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's the thing for me, too, with even, like, interviewing people is that, like, I realized how much stories 
and like sitting someone sitting with someone like really has a lot of power and it can help change people's narrow mindedness, um, myself included. Like, I mean, I was raised Christian and like was told like being gay is like a sin growing up. And like, I have so many wonderful, like queer and trans friends, like at this point, And I'm like, man, there's no way that like God is mad about them. Like, <laughs> like there's like next to no way at all. Like I, I'm pretty sure these people aren't sinning. Like they're just trying to live their lives the, the way that like anyone else is. They just happen to be attracted to the same sex or like they happen to like have like gender dysphoria and like don't feel comfortable in the body that they were born in. But they're still like normal people and it's like man like our stories are powerful like i wouldn't have had like that like changed my heart and my mind if it wasn't by like actually like sitting down and getting to know people mm-hmm. and being like wow like these are people that are like made in like the image of like god like not to get like preachy but it's like even with like christianity or like even other religions like they talk about like people like being made in in God's image Mm -hmm. and like we're supposed to be a reflection of like this perfect deity and I don't think that that goes away just because you're like just because you happen to be attracted to something that like isn't the norm um like I was listening to the uh Joe Rogan podcast the other day and um he had this guy on there this African-American guy who's also a musician who has personally like helps like 200 or so white people get out of uh the clan Mm -hmm. like and it was literally just because he like he just started meeting up with clan members like he just started seeking them out and like just like spending spending time with them and like getting to know their stories and then they were like oh wait like you like you're not actually different than me like Mm -hmm. this is all really silly (laughs) like yeah and I feel like this story, like the world needs just like more awareness of, of people's stories. Like it's like, I don't know, truth is like what sets people free. Yeah, I think we, uh, I think like a lot of uh, the rise of social media has uh, brought out so, there's no nuance, there's not as much nuance anymore. It's everything's so black and white. Mm-hmm. And it's it's so easy to be like, okay, this is a bad person, this yeah, person's good. Totally. And, and, and like, <laughs> and so everything in the middle, it's it's like you have to like be on a team now. Like, you know, but, um, but like <laughs> but you lose all the nuance that way. Yeah. Like you don't like like uh I mean I like some of my favorite videos like to watch are all the ones that like kind of like talk with like a lot of like, Trump supporters and like mm-hmm. um and I really Sometimes it's 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 entertaining to kind of see like where they're coming from yeah. exactly, but it's also important though because uh, I mean I because I just I just want to know like okay like you support this person so what has brought you to this point yeah. um, and even with like um, like the uh, people in the NRA I love kind of like hearing like their mm-hmm. sides of things too because where I grew up in a so my living situation growing up is very interesting uh, I mean I'm a Hispanic passing queer person who grew up in a household where I had like white granddad who's from Ohio who was in the army who's very much a Republican and very much Trump supporter. Mm. Um, and then I have like the other the other side of 
that household, whereas like my mom and like my whole Vietnamese like side, so who was very much like liberal. Mm-hmm. So I always grew up with like having this dichotomy of like uh, and, and this nuance where uh, you know you ask someone who's like uh, like a Republican, uh, you know, it's not really for immigration laws mm-hmm. and wants to keep all his guns, mm-hmm. but then he's married to like a Vietnamese woman, yeah. and then like I'm his yeah. gran- and I'm his mm-hmm. grandchild. And it's it, it it's kind of weird, mm. but it did teach me kind of to under to always understand both sides of a situation, mm. and understand that like no one person is like all good, all bad. Yeah. There's there's uh, like a, a nuance to it. Yeah, like you were um, saying, like not everything is black and white. Yeah, no, 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 no. And and uh, I think we gain a lot from more stories from people and, and interviews and that's kind of like why I like doing interviews with the, with the queer community mm-hmm. um, as well uh, yeah <laughs> cool mm-hmm. um, so I guess we can I mean we can start wrapping up things um, but what is the best way for people to see more of your work and reach out to you or keep up with you if if they'd like to. Yeah, so uh, best way definitely is to find me on Instagram. That's uh, kind of where all of my musings and my posts and my content goes to, and that's going to be at Mark Blair PH, and that's Mark with a C, not with a K. Cool. Mark Blair PH. Awesome. Um, yeah, and I'll make sure to put that in the notes as well. Um, again, this was the third podcast of the spoken spoken narrative and uh after we get done recording this i'll also be taking some portraits of of norell uh he's actually going to light them the way he would uh photograph a portrait uh so (laughs) it'll it'll be an interesting uh collaboration but i think i think it's going to be cool so yeah tune in uh to the blog and then yeah tune in next week and also go check out norell's work as well Again, this was the Spoken Narrative Podcast, and thank you so much for listening.